Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not their sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 868 in the back section. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith, and this morning we're going to read Article 34, found on page 868. reading from article 34 entitled the sacrament of baptism we believe and confess that jesus christ in whom the law is fulfilled has by his shed blood put an end to every other shedding of blood which anyone anyone might do or wish to do in order to atone or satisfy for sins Having abolished circumcision, which was done with blood, he established in its place the sacrament of baptism. By it, we are received into God's church and set apart from all other people and alien religions, that we may be dedicated entirely to him, bearing his mark and sign. It also witnesses to us that he will be our God forever since he is our gracious Father. Therefore, he has commanded that all those who belong to him be baptized with pure water in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. In this way, he signifies to us that just as water washes away the dirt of the body when it is poured on us and also is seen on the body of the baptized when sprinkled on him, so too the blood of Christ does the same thing internally in the soul by the Holy Spirit. It washes and cleanses it from its sins and transforms us from being the children of wrath into the children of God. This does not happen by the physical water, but by the sprinkling of the precious blood of the Son of God, who is our Red Sea, through which we must pass to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh, who is the devil, and to enter the spiritual land of Canaan. So ministers, as far as their work is concerned, give us the sacrament and what is visible, But our Lord gives what the sacrament signifies, namely the invisible gifts and graces, washing, purifying, and cleansing our souls from all filth and unrighteousness, renewing our hearts and filling them with all comfort, giving us true assurance of his fatherly goodness, clothing us with the new man and stripping off the old with all its works. For this reason, we believe that anyone who aspires to reach eternal life ought to be baptized only once without ever repeating it, for we cannot be born twice. Yet this baptism is profitable not only when the water is on us and when we receive it, but throughout our entire lives. For that reason, we detest the error of the Anabaptists who are not content with a single baptism once received, and also condemn the baptism of children of believers. We believe our children ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant, as little children were circumcised in Israel on the basis of the same promises made to our children. And truly, Christ has shed his blood no less for washing the little children of believers than he did for adults. Therefore, we ought to receive the sign and sacrament of what Christ has done for them, just as the Lord commanded in the law that an offering, a lamb for them and and sacrament of the suffering and death of Christ would be granted them shortly after their birth. This was the sacrament of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, baptism does for our children what circumcision did for the Jewish people. This is why Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. This is our confession of faith. Well, we have been studying the last main section of the Belgic Confession, dealing with the church. And for the last couple sermons, we've been looking at the sacraments in particular. Uh, We've talked about sacraments in general, how they are holy signs and seals for us to see. We talked about the Lord's Supper, and this morning we look at Christian baptism. I recall one time uh, I was doing a baptism in a church uh, many years ago, and and following the service, uh, someone came up to me and said, so what was that all about? What what happened this morning? I didn't see anything really visibly change in the child being baptism. What is baptism all about? What is the significance when we place the water of baptism upon a child or upon an adult? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
Last time in our sermon on the Lord's Supper, we talked about the uh, continuity and the discontinuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We talked about Jesus celebrating the last Passover and at the same time celebrating the first Lord's Supper. There was continuity and discontinuity. We're going to see that same principle in the sacrament of baptism. There is continuity with the past and discontinuity with the past. Continuity with the old covenant sign of circumcision. Continuity in terms of the promises and the obligations. But a discontinuity in terms of what the external sign actually is. While the external sign will change, the internal reality remains the same. Paul, in Romans chapter 6, uses baptism uh, not only to instruct us of what it is about, but uses baptism to call us to holy living. Because we have been baptized, Paul says. And I find it so interesting that already at this time in New Testament history, Paul doesn't use the sign of circumcision. Although the picture would be the same, the internal reality the same, he uses the sign of baptism to show that already here there was that transition going on. Paul had made, had made the change from old covenant external sign to new covenant sign. And so this morning we look at the sacrament of baptism, what it means and particularly what it means for us in our lives. We know that the sign of the covenant was instituted already back in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 17, we have God coming to Abraham and making a covenant with him and giving a covenant sign. In Genesis chapter 17 verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you... You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. I will be your God and you will be my people. And as a sign of that covenant, he gave the sign of circumcision, a bloody sign. We know that that sign lived throughout Old Testament times. But when Jesus Christ comes, we have, we have the reality of the promise and, and the external sign changes from blood to water. That's where our confession begins. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, in whom the law is fulfilled, has by his shed blood 
put an end to every other shedding of blood, which anyone might do or wish to do to atone or to satisfy for sins. Having abolished circumcision, which was done with blood, he established in its place the sacrament of baptism. You know, we often think of Jesus and his blood being shed as the end of all the sacrificial system. And that was certainly true as well. The shedding of Christ's blood put, a shedding, put, the, put an end to the shedding of all the sacrificial blood. But it also put an end to the shedding of blood in the covenant sign. The sign of circumcision, a bloody sign, is now changed to the sign of baptism, a water sign. The, the external changes from blood to water. But, but what is symbolized remains the same. That blood of Christ was a picture of the washing away of all of our sins. Having that sign uh, given to the children was a sign of entrance into the people of God. Again, from our confession, by it, the sacrament, we are received into God's church and set apart from all people. By the sacrament, we are received into God's church, brought into the people of God. That was the meaning in the Old Testament with the Old Covenant sign. That is the meaning in the New Testament with the New Covenant sign. The picture of water and washing. Kids, you know, water is what you use to wash your hands. It gets the dirt off your hands. That's the picture for us in baptism. The water washing away our sins, a removal, removal of our defilement. The external sign has changed, but the internal reality remains. We are washed. We are washed by Christ himself. And since he has shed his blood once for all, there is no longer need for blood to be shed, either in the sacrifices or in the covenant sign. Christ shed his blood. Now that sign, the external sign, has changed from blood to water. A different external sign, the same internal reality. We see in Romans chapter 6, as Paul makes reference to baptism, he doesn't so much here highlight that, um, that washing picture of baptism, which we often do. But Paul reminds us of another picture given to us in the sign of circumcision and baptism. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul, highlighting the picture here, not so much of the washing away of sins and the new life given to us because of that washing, but our death and new life in Christ. Our union with Christ through the sacrament. Christ takes our sin upon himself. Christ bears that sin 
He goes to the cross, he is crucified, he dies, and he is put in the grave. And our sins put in the grave with him. But did you know, Christ didn't stay in the grave. Christ came out. He had a new life. And as he comes to new life, our sins remain in the grave. He rises to new life. And that's the picture given to us by Paul in Romans chapter 6. Being made alive from death to life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism as a picture of being brought from death to life. And that, that, that new life accomplished by God himself. We didn't bring ourselves to new life. God gave us the new life. Because of our union with Christ, we are brought to new life, resurrected life. As a reminder that God is the one who is the primary actor in the sacrament of baptism. God is the one who washes away sins through the blood of Christ. God is the one who gives us new life in our resurrection with Christ. Who's active when we come to the baptismal font? It's not the one being baptized. Certainly not in the case of baptizing an infant. The infant doesn't do anything. The infant doesn't even know what's going on. They're not, they're not active in their baptism. It is, not, it is not the parents bringing the child who are the primary actor. Now, the parents are simply fulfilling their obligation to give their child the covenant sign, but they're not the primary actor. The primary actor in baptism is God himself. God comes to us at the font. God comes to adults, God comes to children, and God makes the promises to them. The promises of life from death. The promises that, that he accomplished in his son Jesus Christ. We, we are passive in baptism. We receive the sign of baptism. God is the one who's the primary act. He's the one who comes with the promises. He is the one who will fulfill the promises. And he is the one who still does that today. He still comes today to call us through his word, the gospel, to put our faith and trust in him. Believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And know that you have been taken from death to life. That's the call this morning. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he calls you today to put your faith and trust in him. Don't keep living that dead life. But, but, but be raised in him to newness of life, united with him, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. God is the primary actor in the sacrament. God is the one who comes and, and gives us this new life. But that life is lived out in us. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. No longer enslaved to sin. Our lives change because we have been baptized. Our lives change because the old man has been crucified with Christ. And we are to put on the new man. That's what Paul talks about in verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present the mem- your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Baptism affects the way that we live. Paul says, don't, don't return to the slavery, the slavery of your sin. You've been given a new life in Jesus Christ. Now, now by the power of his spirit, live that new life. Don't return to the slavery of sin. Don't present your, your body as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God for righteousness. And this is the glorious picture which is, which is given in the sign of baptism. But given not only to Abraham, also given to his descendants. This is a sign for you, God says, and for your descendants after you. And so we follow that same practice still today. We give the sign of the covenant to believers and to their children. Just as Abraham was to give the covenant sign to his son, and all the son's eight days old infants would receive the covenant sign, so too do we. The children of believers are given the covenant sign of baptism. I think, I think probably every time I, I teach on baptism, I always mention that I do not like the term uh, infant baptism. I don't like the term infant baptism. Our church does not practice infant baptism. Our church practices the baptism of believers and their children. Someone came in off the street and said, hey, I, I hear you guys do infant baptism. I've got an infant here. I don't really care about who God is, but would you baptize this infant? We say, no, we don't do that. But you do infant baptism. No, we don't. No, we don't. We baptize believers and their children. That's the scriptural teaching. That's the picture. Abraham and his descendants. Not any random Philistine would receive the sign. It was for the people of God. And so we, we give that covenant sign to our children in obedience to God's command from generation to generation. Again, from our confession. Yet this baptism, no, let's go up here. We believe our children ought to be baptized and sealed with the sign of the covenant as little children were circumcised in Israel on the basis of the same promises made to our children. And truly... Christ shed his blood no less for the washing of little children of believers, of believers, than he did for adults. Christ shed his blood no less for washing the little children of believers than he did for adults. Children, Jesus shed his blood for you. Not just for mom and dad, not just for the big people in the church, 
Jesus shed his blood no less for the children of believers than for adults. Children, you have been marked as a child of God. You have received the covenant sign of inclusion in God's people at the baptismal font. I think it's easier for us to get confused about that. We often speak of someone as being only a baptized member, only a baptized member. And I understand what we mean by that. We mean someone who has not yet embraced all of those promises and professed their faith. But it is not the case that when our covenant children who have been baptized embrace the covenant promises and profess their faith, it is not the case that at that time they join the church. We sometimes use that language. But they join the church when they are given the covenant sign. That is the sign of inclusion. And while we pray for each of our covenant children to grow and embrace all of these promises by profession, they will not be more a member of the church that day than they are right now. They'll have more blessings, more promises, more, more privileges, but no more a member than when they are given the sign at the baptismal font. Children, you are members of this church. You belong to this church because you have been baptized. And that sign of baptism continues to encourage us in our walk with God throughout our life. Again, from our confession. This baptism is profitable not only when the water is on us and we receive it, but throughout our entire lives. The baptism is profitable throughout our entire lives. Now, when a child is brought to the baptismal font, that child will not remember the baptism. We will, but the child will not. But they will know and we will teach them that they have been baptized and remind them that because of that baptism, they have been set apart by God. They've been given the promises of his grace, and that has to affect the way that they live. Children, when you are having a hard time getting along with your brother and sister and you're fighting with them, remember you have been baptized. God has placed his mark on you and so calls you to live in a particular way. When you're having a hard time obeying mom and dad, remember, you have been baptized. You have the mark of Christ put on you. You are called to obey your parents. Young people, as you, as you grow and you face various challenges and various choices in life, remember, you have been baptized. God has placed his mark on you. And that must affect how you live. As we go through our adult life and face difficulties and challenges and, and, and hard situations, remember, you have been baptized. God has placed his mark on you. And that must affect how you live, how you respond to the difficulties in life. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been given the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And we are to live out that truth every day of our life. That's what happens at the baptismal font. It's not just a, a cute little uh, ceremony for parents and their children. It is the promise of God 
a sign of inclusion in his people, rooted all the way back in the Old Testament, rooted back with Abraham, the father of all believers, given to him and to his descendants, to his children. We give baptism to believers and to their children as a reminder that we have been washed with the blood of Christ. Like water washes dirt from the body, so our sins are washed away. Yes, the external sign is changed from blood to water, but the internal reality remains the same. We have been taken from death to life, buried with Christ, but also raised to new life with him. And that glorious blessing, that glorious privilege is not just for the adults, but God graciously includes our children. Children, you have been baptized along with your parents and you are members of this church and along with your parents called to live for God every day of your life. That's the beautiful picture. That's the beautiful promise. That's the beautiful obligation. We remember every time we see a baptism, God's promises to believers and to their children. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, how we thank you for the beauty of the covenant. You yourself choosing a people for your very own. And you coming and giving the promises of that covenant and a sign, an external sign of that covenant. We know, God, because of Jesus Christ, that external sign has changed, but your promises have not your promises continue. And so we thank you for the glorious sign of Christian baptism. Lord God, may we, may we remember that wonderful truth that Paul reminds us of, that because of baptism, we have been set free from our sin and given a new life in Christ. Oh Lord God, help us to live that new life to your honor and to your glory. Hear our prayer, oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.